Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right, Nana. First of all, thank you so much for taking some time out to be with us. I know you're very busy. You have a lot to do, so we appreciate your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it, Elsie. The very next thing I like to do is ask you to give us your very best oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) So Nana, I know that you're a business guy. Your business is Infinite Horizons. Give us the two-minute version of what your business is all about. Our business is all about empowering business owners, especially on this you know, small to medium scale, to be able to increase the value of their business while minimizing the time it takes for the owner or the leaders you know, to spend in their business. So we basically solve the, the core conflict of how do we free up the amount of time it takes for you to manage your business while at the same time increasing the value of your business so that you have more options. On the end. So beginning with the end in mind, how do we make sure that you have as many flexible options so that you have a peace of mind and regardless of what happens, your business is always ready to go and your risk exposure, which if statistics is correct, where 85 to 90% of your wealth is tied up to your business, you want to make sure that risk exposure in your business is minimized. Yeah, that that's a common theme here on the show. We we talk a lot about systems. We talk a lot about automation. We talk a lot about delegation. What would you say is the number one way to free yourself if you're a business owner? We talk a lot to B2B founders and, um, and entrepreneurs. What would you say the number one thing? I'm sure there are many, but what's the number one thing that we can do to free ourselves? I think it's a mindset shift. The number one thing is to be comfortable delegating. And it's a mindset shift. It has to do with, it has to do less with if it's to be, it has to be up to me. It's a conundrum, right? On the one hand, the entrepreneurs have been built up or a lot of times groomed to say, to think that if it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. However, when it comes to your business, you need to make it such, how do I empower more people to do more things? How can I make myself as less useful <laughs> to the business as possible? So, it's kind of a, a a nuanced mindset shift. So if you can make that mindset shift around the fact that you don't have to control everything for your business to do right, be comfortable with the fact that, yes, even if people cannot do it as well as you can, they can do it well enough as such that you can multiply more than just, you know, one person being able to do it perfectly. All right, Nana, I hear you and I agree. But what if I'm listening to this show, I'm a business owner, and I'm a little bit uncomfortable doing that. What are some of the ways that I can move myself in that direction? 
Well, I think the, the main thing is, you know, in terms of not being comfortable is starting to think about the future what ifs, right? How would it, you know, how would you like to be able to take a three-month vacation without your business being impacted? If something were to happen to you, a family member, your business partner, would your business survive and for how long? If you were to decide if there was some kind of emergency, whether it's a divorce, disqualification, or disability, would your business be able to make it? If you start thinking in terms of that, then it just puts a whole different, because nothing is forever. Yes, you love your business, but we're all not going to be on Earth forever. Right. And so you really need to start thinking about their what ifs and just you know, look at the various scenarios. Nobody thought 9-11 was going to happen. The companies that thought well enough ahead, like the shells of the world and the, and the uh, Southwest Airlines of the world, they did a lot better when the unthinkable happened. So you want to be able to prepare yourself for the unthinkable while hoping for the best. But if you prepare enough for those unthinkable scenarios, you'd be a lot better off in the long run. And oh, by the way, a lot of unthinkables are happening more and more often these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's get into the tactics here. So I want to start delegating things in my business. What is the first thing that I do? Yeah, so a couple of things. One is uh, typically there's like four stages to it, right? One is that the first thing is you, know, you want to have the people that you've identified as you know people you want to delegate. You want to have them watch you do it. Right. And then, you know, as they watch, and then you want to then, you know, switch turns and have them do it while you watch over them. And then the next thing then is that they then, the next stage is that they go do it and they report back to you, right? What is, what is weekly status or whatever the frequency is. And then the final thing is then that, you know, they got it, they own it, you don't even, you know, they don't come to you anymore. So those are the stages. Got it. So do you have a framework for that? So um, I know here at Podcast Town, we use the EOS system. So I love, love, love EOS. Do you guys have something similar where it systematically walks you through that? Because a lot of times I found that the more organized I am, the better it is when I hand it off. Yeah, we have a system, a delegation framework that we go, and then that is then instrumented in a, in a portal system called the Validator system. So the validator system is, is where you have the tools that will allow you to identify what are the key activities that you do and then the amount of time that you spend in them. And then that will then show you if you delegate those systems or those processes or those tasks and activities, how much time is it? If it takes you, if it's something, for instance, it takes you four hours or eight hours to do and you do it like every single day or every single week. If you were to delegate it, how much time that gets back, you know, you gain back. And guess what? That's time that you can use to do more strategic things, right? Like building strategic partnerships, right? Like identifying what additional markets you can go into, like your brand, things of that sort. Now, is this a system that you guys develop internally? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something we develop internally, but it's just something that we, we have adopted and subscribed to that we then, you know, we, we certified on that we implement. So we partner with the Valid system and then we use that system. And then we obviously apply our framework to that system to be able to help business owners execute. Got it. So tell me more about the value, bu- value builder system. I had, this is the first time I've heard of, of that. Yeah, the value builder system is essentially a system that allows you to operate your business almost like a product, right? So it allows you to, on a, in a typical 12-month fiscal year, you can go through a systematic phase of identifying what is the value of your business, right? Because we all have to do physical checkups every day, every, every year. Right. Same thing for your business. Right. You, you know, at the beginning of the year, you should see where you are, you are. 
And then it looks like it looks like it's basically instrumented to implement the eight drivers of value. Right? What are the things that drive your value? Whether it's cash flow, whether it's you know, your market size, or whether it's the ability to satisfy your customers. So those eight drivers have been instrumented into a system, and that is what is called the value builder system. The main goal, the main purpose of it is to increase the value of your business. So you said something that piqued my curiosity. What are the eight drivers of value? Yeah. Through a survey of tens of thousands of businesses, the, it's, identified, it's been identified that eight key drivers that drive the business, when it comes time to whether you want to sell or you want to pass it down to your kids or whether you want to turn it into some kind of franchise. Uh, how do we make sure your business is as well as it is? Not just kind of a country club type of approximation where you're like, okay, my buddy in the country club, you know, they, you know, they got this for your business or they were evaluated at this for your business, therefore, mine's the same. It may not be the same. And so the first one is customer satisfaction, how satisfied. So essentially we start with, okay, what do you buy or sell, right? Your, your products and your services, right? And then the main thing is how differentiated is that, right? How differentiated is that? And then how satisfied customers are with it? How dependent is your business on you, the owner, or, or the owners, if there's multiple owners? How dependent your business is on key people, your suppliers, your customers, your employees, right? What's the cash flow or, you know, or, um, picture in your business look like? And those are some of the things that basically, and then, of course, in terms of your business model, is it a one-time transactional business model? Is it a business model that relies on recurring revenue? All right. So based on that, that will allow us to be able to assess just on a scale from zero to 100 where you place against competitors in your industry. Got it. So for our note takers out there, can we break those down numbered from one to eight? I got lost at number one. So I have number one was customer satisfaction. Customer satisfaction. Yep. Your brand differentiation. So differentiation is two. Yes. Okay. And then you have you have the your cash flow. Okay. You have uh, the dependence on the owner or owners. Okay. So I'll say owner dependence. Okay. And then you have the number five will be stakeholder dependency. So stakeholders meaning that employees, suppliers, and customers. So I, I bundle those into stakeholder dependency. Okay. All right. So. Um, and then we talk about your business model, whether or not it's, if it's a recurring business model, whether it's a one-time transaction model. Recurring business models tend to be evaluated higher than non-recurring business model. Okay. All right. Now, then we go into your growth potential, right? Just how, you know, is there a ceiling? Because, you know, maybe you're at a plateau where your business doesn't have anywhere to go. So your growth potential, are you able to go to different markets, different locations, different geographies, different demographics, right? So your growth potential is um, stable. Got it. Okay, I think I missed something there. So I have customer satisfaction number one, differentiation number two, cash flow number three, four owner dependence, five stakeholder dependency, six business model, seven growth potential. Did I miss one? Did we do cash flow? Cash flow. I have that down as number three. Okay, you have cash flow. So we have growth potential, customer satisfaction, brand differentiation. Recurring business model, right? We have owner dependency, st- uh, stakeholder dependency, cash flow. And then the last one is financial performance, of course. Yes, financial performance. So, you know, the degree, your profitability and things of that sort, your EO, the profit margin. 
Got it. Okay. So do you think that any one of these eight are the more important to start on? Because naturally, right, you're running your business and so you're very busy. Do you approach one at a time or how do you start to approach this this value? Yeah, obviously, I mean, you can like, you know, take on all of them at the same time. So, I mean, financial performance is like the low hanging fruit, which is whatnot. But a lot of it is financial performance. I see it as a lot of times like a consequence. Right. It's a driver. It's a driver of value, but it's not something you can, you got to do something to get a financial performance. In other words, right? So where I would start is you start with a lot of times you start with your products and services, right? You look at those and you see which ones have the highest profit margins, right? And, you know, in, in ranking order. So you take your top 20 and you look at, okay, which ones have the highest profit margins? And then maybe you take like in the top three or top five or one or what have you. Right. And then you start to focus on those. And then you say, okay, how do we differentiate, you know, ourselves in the market? We don't need to drive a marketing strategy for it. So for the, for those high performing or high profit margin products or services, right? Are you going to, so for instance, have you tapped that in your current market? If you haven't tapped that, there's room for growth, right? Then of course you can come up with a market penetration strategy and the messaging around that, right? And then of course, you know, because then you start to think about, okay, how do you start to peel off the ones that, you know, you thought were doing well, but you thought were important, but are not at low profit margins. What is the message? What is the process, the plan for transitioning off of those? Because you want to basically concentrate on the high profit margin few rather than trying to sell a bunch of, you know, different menu options to everybody, right? Because then that's how you reduce your cost basis on things that are, that doesn't apply well to your profit margin. And so once you have established the base foundation of your high margin products and services, and identify what your go-to-market strategy for these high-profit margin strategies are, then you can start thinking about positioning, right? How do you want to position these things in the minds of the market? And a lot of times you do that, you need a little bit of feedback from the folks that have already bought those products or services from you, why they buy from you. And so based on those, you then start to message around those type of emotional attachments, right? Because that then you know, will resonate, chances that they will resonate with other prospects. And so that's where you start to kind of start, you know, building on top of each other, right? So you know, you've identified your, your high margin products and services. You've surveyed your customers to identify why they buy those things from you. You start to create a marketing messaging around that. You've identified your go-to-market, you know, which markets you want to target, whether or not you want to go to different markets, like different locations where there's different continents, or, you know, maybe sort of, you know, different age groups you want to tap into an adjacent age group because you've identified the reason why people are buying applies to different age bracket or different demographic, right? So you start, you know, then you start to kind of lay out that on top of each other. And so what that's happening is because you're reducing your cost, the cost, because the higher margin product, you know, chances are the, the cost is lower, right? That's the reason why the higher product margin. And then you start to see, okay, how do I, if you start, if those higher margin products, your transaction, if it's based on one-time transaction, in other words, the customer walks in, Right. They buy something and then they go. They may or they may not buy it from you ever, or they may come back another year or two to buy it. Right. So how do we make sure it's recurrent? So what happens is if you make it a recurrent model, it comes on automatic month in, month out. What that means is that you're not spending as much on marketing budget, and therefore that all of that goes into your bottom line. So you start to kind of layer that on top of each other, and then once you've you know, then you get to the point where okay, 
what is the process for freeing up the business from the owner? That's when you start to do things like documenting, delegating, and then you start to go from there. Okay, how do we make sure it's there and not as dependent on certain key employees? Those same things apply. You know, you basically build redundancy systems with some terms of personnel or having a document such that anybody can, can do it. And then, of course, you diversify your customer base so that if something happens to one customer, you don't lose like 40% of your revenue source. And you diversify your supplier base, especially in the age of COVID, something happens to your supply chain for one supplier. You have other options available as well. So, and then all of that then starts to flow into your cash flow, right? You start to negotiate good terms with your, with your suppliers and with your customers. So, you know, whether you're billing up front versus not paying, maybe sort of net 30, maybe net 45, right? Instead of 30 days and maybe 45 out, 45 days out or 60 days out. All of that start to flow into your positive cash flow. So that's how you start to lay that one on top of the other. Question for you on the delegation uh, piece, because I know a lot of times people who are part of teams, when you talk about redundancy, right, you want to make sure that more than one person can carry out that task or that function. Oftentimes, what I've run into uh, over the years is the sense that you're trying to replace them or that they become fearful that their job is in jeopardy because you want them to document what they're doing and teach it to somebody else. What are some ways to manage that? Well, I think the way to manage that is giving them bigger responsibilities, right? Having them more involved in strategic planning and other brokering of relationships. That's when you start to realize, okay, we, we are um, trying to make sure you start to contribute to more value-added activities, right? And so giving them more and more responsibilities, which which is why the reasons why, why you set that up, right, they become, they, they start to feel like owners. They start to make them feel like they're owners, owners of certain areas of the business, right? So you have like, it's almost like an employee-owned business without making it an official necessarily that way. So once they get a sense of ownership, right, a stake in the business, then the other thing, the other way is, you know, depending on the comfort of business, you can make it an open book where it shows how the value of the business or the profit margins or the cash flow is increasing as a result of some of the things that they're doing. But the main thing is for them to just kind of, then the other thing is, of course, is things like uh, development. So, for instance, if their, you know, if their area of business have been documented and systematized and therefore they feel like they've been running, well, guess what? Uh, they start to get trained up to do bigger and better, you know, better things, right? So instead of being like, you know, owning like one job, they own the system that does the job, right? Uh, they're able to participate in you know, other things like, you know, relationship with different vendors, different suppliers. And, you know, the owner delegate more and more things. Like, for instance, instead of owner being responsible for approving every budget that's like $50,000 or above, the employee is not empowered to be able to approve, no, instead of maybe before they were only able to approve up to $100, maybe not able to approve up to a $2,000 budget. So all of that starts to show that you have confidence in them and you start to make them more and more key stakeholder in the business. Got it. Over the years, you've worked with a lot of businesses. What is the number one business lesson that you've learned from your, your work? I think the number one business lesson is to is to basically is again it's the simple begin with the end in mind that you are we are not infallible we are not, not invincible we are going to go one day and therefore we want to make sure that we, the business itself is almost like the product 
that who we are is reflected in the business in one way, shape, or form, right? And so the more transparent that we are in our dealings with others, that is reflected in the culture. And so culture becomes you know, you know, very, very important. And it's a, a lot of times it's a microcosm of the, of the bigger culture. But, you know, just staying true always to the mission, the values, right? Just, you know, transparency and alignment is just extremely important. And it's just a sense of meaning. Do I feel like what I'm doing makes a difference? If I were to leave the earth today, do I feel like I've accomplished everything that I was, you know, put on earth to do? So having this sense of me, you know, mission, purpose, and meaning, it becomes very important because you spend a lot of your time in, in that particular business and you want to make sure that, yes, you are making a difference. And it's more than just about making money. It's actually about making a difference in the world as well. What are you most excited about for the, the rest of this year? Really excited about just this whole, it's, there's excitement and trepidation at the same time. About this whole thing about AI. I think AI has just become, I think we are in the AI, you know, age now. We, you know, we, we went from the agriculture age to the industrial age to the information age. I think we are in an AI age now, but obviously there's a lot of challenges there, right? And how do we as humans interact with these new, like, you know, bots and all these different machines, you know, man versus machine. Are we going to be cooperative? Are we going to be, you know, competitive with each other? So while there's a lot of challenges, there's also a lot of great opportunity for increasing productivity, for, and the rate of knowledge acquisition is exponential now. And so I'm excited. I'm excited about new knowledge, new frontiers, and I'm just really looking forward to what's going to happen the rest of the year. And for the businesses, that are able to adapt and adapt to these uh, things quicker will be the ones that will get ahead. So I'm really looking forward to seeing by this, by the end of the year, just some of the businesses that, that uh, we've worked with, just making sure that ahead of where they, where they were or where they thought they could be. So there's a lot of great potential. I'm certainly really looking forward to what's going to happen the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this whole AI movement is, it, it'll be interesting to see where it is this time next year as more and more companies are incorporating it and the world sort of adjusts to the possibilities of, of AI. If people want to reach out to you, learn more about Infinite Horizons or just want to say hi, how can they do that? Yeah, I mean, the best thing to do is they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And uh, obviously, we're going to have a lot of my information in the show notes as well in terms of the various ways that you can reach out to me on Twitter or they can reach out to me on Instagram. I tend to spend more time on LinkedIn than I do in the uh, places. Uh, they, but more importantly, they, when they go to infhorizons.com, there is a, a place for them to book an appointment. And oh, by the way, one of the other main things is they can listen to my podcast show, which I do. We release that every, every other week. It's called Build Value by Choice. So that's where we also you know, talk about a lot of these topics that we talk about. We have different people uh, coming in to talk about different perspectives on some of these drivers that we talk about today. So Build Value by Choice is on all platforms, whether you're Google or whether you're on Apple. Uh, you can uh, listen to uh, Build Value by Choice on those platforms as well. Awesome, awesome. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for your time, Nana. It's great to be here. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it.
What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.